Sound like the usual mindless, boring, getting to know you chit chat. Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast Power Chat Edition. Powered by eRenewable. Coming at you right now, and we're very excited as we are each and every episode to welcome from the Houston Chronicle, their energy and energy transition reporter, Miss Shelby Webb, is going to be joining us. A little special edition of the Power Chat. Normally we do it in 10 minutes or less, but Miss Shelby was so good. She added a couple extra minutes for us, and you will not be disappointed. Of course, don't forget, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcast. So in today's episode, we're going to talk to Miss Shelby Webb about the brand new beat, kind of the challenges when you've got a brand new beat, as well as what she's learned while she's been on this for the last few months and what she's got in store for the rest of the year. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Miss Shelby Webb. Well, it's sort of funny because they're still still sort of trying to define what exactly my beat is here. Um, so the Chronicles never really had someone who's been dedicated to covering renewable energy or the energy transition um, but they wanted the beat to be broader than that. Um, obviously, that being a central focus, how you know both the city's economy could fare if and how you know the transition sort of plays out, how oil and gas majors are sort of working to make this sort of a thing happen, you know, beyond just sort of the platitudes that they give you know to shareholders and that sort of a thing. Um, but beyond that, they're also really interested in energy tech, and, you know, Greentown Labs, North America's largest green and, and climate business incubator, um, opened its second location here, I guess, back in May as well. Um, so, so covering sort of energy tech as well as tech tech, but now they've also expanded it a little more. So I'm also covering ERCOT, you know, Texas's now sort of infamous uh, electric grid. So um, I'm sort of doing all of the above there. And the learning curve is is definitely substantial, you know, even just learning more about the world of business. Although I've interviewed some fourth graders who haven't been as difficult as some CEOs that I've interviewed. At the same time, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff to learn, like especially when it comes to electricity generation or how the grid works or how ERCOT manages the grid or, you know, energy tech and how, you know, city and civic leaders are really trying to prop up the energy transition to all of the politics behind all of this, you know, whether it be folks sort of gnashing their teeth about whether or not to call nuclear or renewable source of energy, um, which is sort of a, a spring of never-ending Twitter conversations, you know, oil and gas and, and labor unions and that sort of a thing and, and their concerns relating to the energy transition. Uh, it's been a lot. I'm learning more every day and, and every time I talk to somebody new. So I just hope, you know, as I keep chugging along and, and putting out stories that eventually I'll, I'll get to a place where I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm not, I'm not a freshman in high school anymore. I know where the bathrooms are, you know. <laughs> How have you been received by both the renewable energy side as well as the oil and gas side as you try to maneuver this energy transition and let the folks know about it? Well, I think folks, especially those more on the renewable side, are, are really excited that this is getting more attention, especially in, in the local media. Because, I mean, oftentimes you'll see sort of like a three or 30,000 foot view story from the New York Times about the energy transition and maybe one or two things in Houston. But I mean, folks here are really fired up about it, you know, especially in the past 18 months or so. Folks have just been really pushing for this. And now that, you know, it's getting more attraction and there's someone at the Chronicle who's who's dedicated to sort of covering, um, you know, those efforts and, and what that looks like. And even among oil and gas, you know, their, um, their venture arms or their, their arms that are sort of, you know, looking at energy tech or, you know, 
they're obviously very eager to show shareholders and others that they're trying to take this seriously as well. So, so they've been pretty accommodating as well. Um, although, you know, I do get some angry emails. There's, you know, one gentleman who calls me eco warrior princess Shelby Webb to start off every email. I really try not to be a cheerleader either way. I'm just trying to say, you know, tell folks what's going on, cool tech that's coming out, different efforts that companies are putting forward. But obviously that's going to rub some people the wrong way, especially those that have been really ingrained in, in oil and gas that have made that their, their, their life. But I get it. One story I really want to do is I want to profile a family where, you know, maybe the grandfather was old school oil and gas, you know, landman or something like that. And then you know, maybe they have a grandchild who's hoping to work for like Tesla or Nova here or, or something like that. I think that would be interesting. But, you know, led by the Texas AFL-CFO, um, a group of 27 unions sort of came together and commissioned this study from researchers from a few universities looking at, you know, how many jobs could be created in the energy transition, what would need to happen in order for those jobs to be created and for them to be sort of higher quality. And what they found is, um, you know, over the course of the next 15 to 25 years, there could be as many as, you know, 1.1 million jobs in this field created. And granted, that's not all going to be at once, you know, that might be closer to the tune of maybe 5,000 a year for, for certain things. But some of the, the goals in there were, were quite ambitious. You know, for example, I think it was trying to install a few gigawatts more of, of wind energy, which is probably double what we actually have in the state right now, which would take a whole lot of, of heavy lifting to do on top of, you know, you would need battery storage and transmission lines to support all of that. Um, so in terms of feasibility, unless the state got really serious about some of the, the proposals in that study, it seems like a, a heavy lift to sort of put it that way. And at the same time, you know, some have expressed concerns that like some of these jobs might be more transient, like building a wind farm might not have the same number of longer lasting jobs that you would have at a, a chemical refinery out on the ship channel. But at the same time, the, the unions were like, look, they might be transient and you might travel around like you're sort of you know, working on pipelines for oil and gas, it might be that sort of a, a thing. But we can work now to make sure that those jobs are high quality, that they pay well, and they help support the communities in which they're being put up. There, there's more looking at it from we haven't labor and, and workers haven't really had a seat at the table when it comes to a lot of these conversations about the energy transition. But to make sure it works for, you know, a, the Houston economy, the Texas economy, as a whole and, and for workers and, and communities and things like that, they want to help make sure that the jobs are higher paying and that, um, you know, workers are, are protected. Workers working on a wind farm that's done and then they move to another wind farm is no different than a roustabout on a drilling rig. Once right. that, rig, that hole is drilled, they move to the next one. It's the same principle. So they're that uh, exactly gee, that they were trying to say really doesn't hold water. Right. Right, right, exactly. But yeah, well, that's, that's sort of why I was saying it's like more, you know, transient, like you would start, you know, so, and, and they're all still in West Texas, which is where all the, you know, the pipe fitting right. jobs are over in the Permian. So. So what was kind of the biggest surprise that you've uncovered or, or kind of stumbled across in these last three or four months as you've really worked this beat? I guess the biggest surprise is how eager a lot of folks have been to talk about the energy transition, even among traditional oil and gas folks. Okay. Um, okay. I had always been, you know, since I moved here five, 
ish years ago. You know, oil and gas is the lifeblood of the city, and anything to sort of threaten that is has seen as sort of like an existential threat to, to Houston as a whole. But I think especially after Harvey, Hurricane Harvey, and um, you know some of the extreme weather events we've seen, these talks of the energy transition have picked up steam nationally. Seeing that shift and seeing how open people are or at least to entertaining the conversation. They may not be gung-ho about the energy transition as a whole, but they're more willing to engage in conversations about it than I had sort of anticipated. I, I sort of anticipated folks to be sort of digging their heels and be like, what are you talking about? This isn't happening. This isn't going to happen. But I think increasingly there's a, a realization that we either got to start talking about it now or we're going to get left behind. What would you say is the biggest misconception revolving around the energy transition? maybe that a lot of this is, is pretty cheap to do. Um, I, I feel like folks, you know, it's like, oh, solar, it comes from the sky, like it's basically free. But at the same time, without, you know, the government subsidies that we have right now, a lot of these projects would be somewhat infeasible. You know, there's still not a lot of return on investment, especially in ERCOT where power generators, you know, really have a hard time turning a profit most years. So I think that might be part of it in terms of, folks not realizing that it's not, you know, you don't snap your fingers and it's, it's super easy to connect. And I think too, that people sort of assume, okay, I can build a solar farm. If we just keep building solar farms and wind farms, that's all we're going to need to do without realizing that we also need a lot more battery capacity than we have. And without realizing that we need way more transmission than we currently have available. What's been the most fun about being thrown to this beat and pretty much just doing it as you go? I mean, it's terrifying and exciting at the same time trying to figure out what we're doing. It's sort of, you know, building the plane while you're flying it a little bit. I've had a lot of fun learning a lot about energy tech and, and some of the cool innovations that are coming out. Like I'm, I'm working on a story now about Rice University and, and using burning oil to try to decarbonize uh, the mining industries, where if you burn it in the, in the absence of oxygen, you just get raw carbon and um, hydrogen, but the carbon now can be made into this material, nanotubes. It's it's complicated. I'm still figuring it out myself, but that can, you know, eventually potentially replace copper and things like that. And, and even steel, which are industries that emit tons and tons of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So just crazy cool stuff like that and, and realizing there's so much more out there and that it, it feels like we're sort of at the precipice of a lot more being out there or being taken to market or something. And, and I I think it's especially exciting in, in Houston too, because folks are, are jazzed about it. Folks are like, okay, this is the next step for Houston. You know, this is Houston 2.0. Let's dive right in. And so, and that that sort of attitude has been been really exciting. Biggest issues that you plan to be working on over the next few months? Obviously, the changes to the power market. The Public Utility Commission and, and ERCOT announced last month that they want to totally overhaul how we sell and, and just do our market altogether, which they don't know what that looks like yet. We'll see what it looks like. We'll see what comes out about it. So I know that's going to be something we're going to be following very, very closely. Um, holding oil and gas companies sort of accountable for the pledges that they've made. A lot of them are like, yeah, net zero by 2050, but you know, what incremental steps are you going to take in the meantime and how much of, of you know, your money or your profit is going towards some of these initiatives that, you know, you've said a lot about in press releases, but we haven't seen a lot of actual, you know, rubber meeting the road and, and that sort of a thing. And along with that, sort of the, the financing piece for a lot of this, because, you know, while we have a lot of cool tech and there other places in the country have a lot of cool tech, it just sort of seems like not it's not quite to the point where you can take it to scale where investors are willing 
to sink a lot of money into it because it's still sort of proprietary and hasn't been shown so much like what it can do at scale. So there's like a there's a lot of money that wants to go into renewable energy projects, but there's a lot of technology that isn't quite at the level to where investors are comfortable putting their money in and seeing what happens. Where can uh, the folks at home find Jed on Twitter? I'm at Shelby Webb, pretty easy. And you can always shoot me an email. That's a Shelby.web with two Bs at cron, C-H-R-O-N.com. Thank you so much for that, Miss Shelby Webb. Once again, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Google Play, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do check us out on Apple iTunes, we ask that you leave us a five-star review. Why? Because we promise that you've learned more about renewable energy from the podcast than you knew about it before you stopped by. And as always, a huge shout-out to the Green Insider team, Mike Niemer, and the rest of the crew over at eRenewable. This has been the Green Insider Power Chat, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Oh,